Hey everyone, it's Kyle here with the Orthodoxical Podcast, and I'm excited to bring you this episode with my new friend, uh, Haiti Lepe. Uh, Haiti is a Latina based out of Los Angeles. She is a blogger and writer who has been doing some really awesome work around uh, the intersection of Latinx culture identity and how those things intersect with Christian faith. She has done some really great uh, blog posts, Instagram posts, and uh, even uh, podcasts and interviews and things like that to kind of explore how our cultural identities, particularly uh, in her case, her Latina identity, uh, intersects with her Christian faith and what that means. Uh, definitely want to check out her work and go see uh, what she's up to. She's doing some really great stuff. And in our conversation, we talk about culture, identity, the ways that those things intersect, the ways that those things uh affect you when uh, you're in a, in a minority or you're a minority in a uh, space and, and kind of what that looks like and uh, being a Latina in a predominantly white institution and just all that really fun and uh, sometimes difficult stuff. But uh, we get into really great conversation. I hope you guys will enjoy it. And uh, as always, like, rate, and subscribe, share with your friends, and we will dive into this episode with Haiti Lepe. everyone and welcome back to the Orthodoxical Podcast. I'm your host Kyle Baumgartner and I'm joined by a special guest today. I'm joined by Haiti Lepe. So Haiti uh, has just started uh, a blog. Well actually she hasn't just started it but she's been working on a blog called She the Ordinary. She has um, a really great blog presence and Instagram account. You should definitely go check it out. And Haiti is a graduate of Vanguard University and she also works closely with IAT which is a network of uh, Latino uh, theological um, sort of minds and hearts that are just working together to do uh, theology from a, a Latino and Latinx perspective. So, Haiti, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me, Kyle. I really appreciate it, and I'm super excited. Absolutely. So, Haiti, could you give us a, a brief overview of your spiritual and theological journey? Of course, um, so first of all, it's super, super great to be here. Um, and um, hello to all, all the listeners and all, the all five people. of them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, those are the faithful you. Yeah, no, they're they're my but, friends. But um, yeah, <laughs> and I'm gonna invite my friends too, so we'll be good. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I grew up here in um, SoCal in Southern Cali. I'm a West Los Angeles native in a little cute suburb um, called Culver City. Uh, um, but interestingly, a part of my spiritual journey was formed um, in actually my local small uh, Pentecostal church, Latino church in South Central. Mm. So that's where I spent pretty much like the other half or the rest, majority of my life growing up, you know, birthed in the church <laughs> in in this south central church and then um living in a suburb i felt like i lived in two different worlds uh as we would commute and um my mother definitely come from a ministerial family since she was a woman's leader woman's and disciple leader for the entire time so there um, my theology was definitely formed um by my i mean it was 
a church of immigrants, Central Americans, is Nicaraguenses, uh, Mexican Americans, Mexicans, South Salvadoreñas, Hondureñas, um, majority Central American. So for me, like my spiritual journey involved community and food, um, really good food, <laughs> um, but also knowing and having a deep reverence for the Lord. And so uh, I guess uh, something that I've been learning this past year is, is a term called abuelita theology. Mm-hmm. And that is something that's rooted in the faith of our, our ancestors or our mothers, our pastors, the woman in our church. Women played a big role in my spiritual journey. Um, and I'm super fortunate and, and blessed to say this because my mother also did. Uh, being a woman leader, being um, just a servant you know in church willing to do whatever it takes to provide for funds to provide for any family member that was in need Mm -hmm. or when i went through colleges we had our hermanas uh, in spanish that means sisters right um sell pupusas like things like these were just so normal for me growing up and so i always always look back and i'm like man i honor that like i'm blessed and fortunate to have that experience um and also just growth. Like it was very humble, humble beginning. Um, and so a very deep, deep reverence for the Lord and, and our Pentecostal faith, very charismatic, very expressive. Anybody that would walk in, like you would hear, you know, our church and like <laughs> from the outside, like we even would get noise complaints because we were in the neighborhood. Like we were right. in a South neighborhood. So we would get <laughs> noise complaints or like, you know, and when, when we would do worship practice, like they're like, there's a curfew. <clears throat> So it was very interesting, like just living in that um, and growing up with that. And even right across, there was an all um, black church right across from us. And we would like interchange again, even with food. Like we'd be like, hey, we're having a pupusa sale, you know, you guys want to come through? And, you know, like we would just exchange interactions like that. So for me, spiritual journey was like good food. We would call it talento, the food being sold by the hands of these woman you know like these women leaders and um yeah and and a a love for god and intimacy for the lord i mean anybody that grew up in a pentecostal like you know latino church would know that in the beginning like our services would average probably two to three hours you know and then we'd have it was crazy at one point we had like two hour service in the morning and then Sunday school for like 45 minutes. Then we'd take a break and we'd come back, like <laughs> you know, for that night service. It's like, if you don't right. have church, you're going to get church. You're going to get like church. All, all, all of the church. Yeah. To, yes. To prep you for your week. So I was like church all day on Sunday, prayers on Tuesday, um, you know, woman's day, woman's night on Thursday. And I had to be there because my mom was there. Yeah. And then the youth nights on Friday and Saturday mornings, like if you wanted to pray another time, second week, <laughs> like you could come and pray. So that was just, I mean, that was just my life, like, uh-huh. you know, growing up. But um, yeah, that that's, that's my early, I would say my early spiritual formation. That's what it was like. Man, that sounds awesome. Particularly the food part. Like, yes. One thing that I think I I missed out on by being in a in a non or in a in a non Pentecostal white church was missing out on all the food. Mm-hmm. Like every everyone that I've interviewed that kind of grew up in like the either the Korean church or the Black church or all and really kind of even 
churches that are more in the South, they're all like, oh yeah, like we all had, we had potlucks and we had food come all, I'm like, what the heck? Like, it, Let me tell you, it's a reality check because even though my roots are Pentecostal, um, I'm now, I guess, like entering in more like non-denominational spaces, but it is a, it is a reality check. I still hold that dear. I'll still tell myself like I'm a Pentecostal, <laughs> like yeah. wherever I go, I'm gonna keep that with me. But I realized like um, some modern churches um, or just just different churches, you know, they they don't have that gathering of food, like you're saying. And mm-hmm. so for me, wait, there's no talento. That's what we would always look forward to after. It, and right. The literal translation to that is talent. <laughs> so <laughs> like food, that what we understood is food. So I'm like, wait, there's no there's no talento. So that's been a little bit of an adjustment. And I'm like hoping maybe. I don't know. I don't know what the future looks like, you know. I'm just I'm I'm thinking it's something that it would be really nice for all churches to adopt. I think yeah. I think if we could get back to that that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, think about it. I mean, Jesus broke bread, you know, with disciples, food. It was he was always like eating food and like uplifting, you know, everybody and with his presence but food and food. I think now this is a theology of food. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> about it it changes people's moods you know and it, it does re- it really sometimes, does sometimes all the pro- prophets needed as well in the bible gotta be like go rest and go eat like yeah. you know, that has a lot to say but anyways now i'm yeah. getting on the tangent. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean you have like a very uh clear you know roots in in the um latino uh pentecostal yes. church and then so you go to you go to school and then when and how did you end up starting she the ordinary yeah so that's a great transition because in school is when I realized that the world and um the way I thought of church was very different Mm. from others and from my peers and in Vanguard um as you know my alma mater um, I learned and experienced a lot of differences. That's it, you know, but I also felt very different. And I think this is not just for Vanguard. I think for a lot of us that enter into, you know, uh, evangelical or Christian private, right? Like spaces and institutions, we're going to feel that difference. We're going to feel just that shift um, in, in saying, oh, like I'm actually... I stick out <laughs> like a sore thumb and um, not everybody will accept the way that I think or express my faith. And so um, she, the ordinary really birthed from all these experiences that I was having, you know, at Vanguard and even before mm-hmm. uh, that caused me to critically think, why am I um, going through experiences that make me feel different, that make me feel um you know, distinct or sometimes even marginalized at times. Um, And what does God have to say about this? What does the Bible say? How can I integrate and contextualize, you know, his word um, being applicable to some of the things that I've dealt with that have had to do with me just being a Latina or a woman or, you know, um, yeah, pretty much my, my identity and my formation so it was interesting to, to note that um, I think, you know, a lot of us like um, go into into 
school or into just spaces thinking that's like, oh, this is it. And then you realize, wait, like people will look at you distinctly at the way you worship or just at the way you express yourself. And so I was fortunate enough to have um, a leadership role on the campus where I fostered and mentored um, our Latino students while I was a student, uh, I think my sophomore year. And in those events, you know, in creating those spaces, even just existing was almost like too much, you know, like even in just in just nurturing a space like that was like out of the ordinary, you know, very like it, I would say, and I know this, this phrase comes up a lot. Sometimes our mere existence is a resistance, right? And so in that sense, um, that's where I, I formed a lot of my, my thoughts on, wait, okay, the theology I grew up with, the upbringing I grew up with is being challenged and is being um, viewed as sometimes discredited, you know, or like not able to have a seat at the table, like we're not able to, to express ourselves. So that's, that's where these experiences, I held them dear to my heart. And it wasn't until after I graduated that I decided, um, you know, um, it was far after because I finished um, school in 2016. Um, but I was just pondering in my heart, like, I have to start writing, like, I have to start doing something, you know, and, and expressing everything that I that I've been doing. And I and I prayed to God. And I think it was a healing thing that he wanted me to do in in this blog and in this writing. And I, I felt, you know, like, this wouldn't just be for me, but this would be for us. Like we do everything in community in, in our culture. And so I'm like, this would be for most of us. Um, and so I was just fortunate enough to to be sensitive, I guess, to the Holy Spirit and, and blessed. I, and I was like, all right, I'll take this as, as an opportunity to, to write, to encourage, to uplift and to center um, this this myself like basically like mm -hmm. my identity you know because god loves me god loves everybody so that's awesome uh i i love the i think and one of the things and I, i've you know obviously it's not an exact parallel but i think one of the things for me in starting this podcast was like this feeling of that there was nobody there was there wasn't really anybody else that was kind of thinking or doing the same thing. And it sounds like in many ways, particularly when you're at a campus that doesn't necessarily understand you or isn't even trying to understand you, that you saw you saw a chance and in an initiative to say like, hey, I'm gonna create these spaces. I'm gonna create this, this work that um, gives, reminds people that they're important and reminds people that they're important to God. It reminds people that the ways that they've traditionally known about and experienced God matter as well. Exactly. And that's what she, the ordinary really is. I mean, I, I'm, I've already like naturally, I'm, because feeling like an outsider in America or in my school, like um, I always wanted to, to welcome, you know, those of us like who are deemed different, those of us who are seen as like um, outsiders or whatever. And so She the Ordinary was like, even furthermore that protest and that public platform of saying like, hey, I know we're different. Um, be brown, be in our diverse thinking. And um, 
Latino, Latinas coming with a Pentecostal upbringing and um, just continuing to develop, you know, our the theological formation, world worldview, all that. And that's okay. Like we can still create a space for us. Like we can still create, is there's even tensions within our own uh, Latino, Latina community, you know, where it's like, yeah, we have some very conservative, like, you know, faith-filled people and our Pentecostals. And then we have Pentecostals that are now integrating themselves in activism and social justice. And so it's like, for me, I'm just like, okay, bring it. Like I'm always like creating spaces and wanting to learn more about all these uh, nuances and differences. But the point is I want people to know like they really matter, you know, and that God sees us and he accepts us as we are um, and that he loves us. And so that, that was pretty much because I felt that in my journey and with the Lord. So um, that's pretty much the whole, the whole thing with she, with she, the ordinary. And it's kind of even the word ordinary, right? Like part of Latino and Latina theology is God has a preferential, uh, one of the liberation theologians, I believe, um, have shared that there's a preferential option for the poor. In the Beatitudes, we see that, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the gentle, meek, all these things. So what does that say? Like, for those that are disenfranchised, marginalized, um, those of us that are like, you know, those that are maybe not paid attention, like they don't, they're not centered. God actually loves that. Like he actually loves them. He actually wants to lift them up, the humble. So that's where that, um, that title came from. I don't tell story to too many, but it was because I I felt very ordinary or at times I was told, you know, like your perspective or your opinion didn't really matter. Mm. So in those spaces, I was like, okay, I'm going to own this ordinariness, this, yeah. simple, you know, this um, and center it, you know, um, I'm going to own it because I know God prefers and picks that and so um he lifts anybody up you know he lifts um are those that are deemed as weak as like looked over at so mm -hmm. man that's awesome i i love the um yeah i just love that you took something that you know was potentially meant to kind of like put you down and turned it into something that is like exp expressing God's glory and expressing God's th glory through how you've been made. Exactly. That's, man, that's awesome. So it's not, I don't tell, this is actually the first time I've, I've publicly said like, where did she, the ordinary come from? Like the yeah. name. So, yeah. Well, thank you for, thank you for sharing that. And something that, you know, as I'm hearing you talk, I was just curious about is, you know, you mentioned that college was kind of the place where your identity was kind of thrown into stark contrast where you're like, oh man, like I'm, I'm different, quote, yeah. unquote, quote unquote, was that, mm -hmm. was college the first time that that had happened for you? Or were you kind of a little bit more aware? Um, just, and, and it could be like in any avenue, it could be of like being a woman, it could be of being um, just in, an American, um, but with a Latino identity, just all those yeah. different things. College was definitely a Latin, the Latin identity that that I felt like whoa, like this is different because it was in it was in in a very different environment. Even though it was in Southern California, like there's just different like cities that are super 
uh, I'm just gonna say like there are some cities that are really white then there's right. other cities more diverse yeah over here like I said my church was a hundred percent like Central American and mm-hmm. and and you know different um Latino Latinas in the church and then I go to school where we're like 40 percent you know Latinos and so I'm like oh, okay but um yeah with that said that's where I felt challenged with my uh my culture but um in church definitely um as a woman and so there I was like why do we have to wear skirts why do we have to you know like um I don't know why do we have to wear dress why can't we wear pants like wait what what is this with our with our appearance and um yeah like it being quiet or submissive and all these things and so um, growing up, I felt that tension. Uh, but even with my mom, because she was a leader, but she was a very opinionated leader. And she would tell me like, no. So then I'd be like, wait, my mom thinks this, but the pastor thinks this. <laughs> so yeah, in that sense, um, there I did feel that contrast as a woman. Um, and growing up in school, I mean, uh, like just, a, you know, like you grow up and a, patriarchy is 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 in taught at home like you know toxic masculinity is taught at home so you're facing these experiences with with boys your age sometimes boys older that think it's appropriate and okay to speak or touch or talk to you a certain way so right there I was like oh you know that's where my identity as a woman was definitely being shaped and I'm like there's something different right here there's a power trip here and so Mm. yeah yeah I just I mean it's interesting to me that those, you know, somebody who's, who is very much like on the opposite end of like any, like any privilege you want to name, I pretty much got it. Um, (laughs) Even amongst most white people that I know, but it's just, it's always interesting to me, like how much later or, or how much earlier, I guess I should say that people come to realize that like, Oh, like something's going on or like, Oh, I, I see this thing that a lot of other people don't see mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's, it's crazy. It, it makes you think. And then people are like, Oh, like you're so wise or you're so mature beyond you. No, like I had to grow up. Like I had to learn through experiences, you know, yeah. like, and people glamorize like wisdom or maturity, but I'm like, there's so much to the story to people's stories and their experiences that are shaping them and molding them you know, that they've had to survive or to um, come to terms with things that have happened, you know, that have put them in places of powerlessness. So, yeah. And again, that's also another thing, like um, writing is healing for me in that sense of where I'm sharing experiences um, and wanting to integrate more um, gender and culture and theology. That's excellent. So in your, in your writing and, and, and just kind of in your own journey and exploration, what, what have you learned about God through the exploration of your cultural identity? Oh, my cultural identity. Um, she just lit up folks. You should, you should have seen her face right there when she said it. She was so excited. Oh, no, it's- <laughs> <laughs> well, because like I said, like, I'm excited I- for your answer now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, one of the first things that came to my mind, uh, earlier this year, which was 
probably one of the best books that I've read. And I'm always going to plug Dr. Child Romero. Um, he wrote a book called The Brown Church. And it was, you know, I think it's five centuries of, of Latino, Latina history and theology. And one of the things that I was learning and, and reading in his book that was centering brown voices um, and our cultural identities, uh, plural, because I know that we have variances in our communities, mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, um, this notion of God creating us diverse and in revelations when he shares every tribe, every tongue, every nation will, you know, praise me and, and be it united, praising, praising God. There's something so beautiful in seeing and realizing that he created us with all these differences, all these, all these variances, all these colors, um, knowing that we would take them to heaven. Like, mm. wow. for me, that's so good. Wait, you did this intentionally, you know? And so for me, that just gives me a deeper appreciation of who I am and, and my heritage and, and my culture and a deeper curiosity to learn more because uh, sometimes in our, I think through the colonization process, um, that would be disregarded or that would tell us, no, don't explore more. Don't learn more about your culture, heritage or yeah. tradition or customs but something that I learned and that I felt I just felt like yes like this is right you know is is the complete opposite there's that's why God created us to celebrate our our culture to celebrate you know one another and we're gonna take it to eternity so we have to like embrace who we are and embrace um loving and accepting one another and so it's been it's been a affirming thing for me because even in I'll say even growing up in my Pentecostal Latino church sometimes we were told like um you know oh no 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 dance is bad or you know no no no, you can't do certain things with your family like now you're Christian like behave you know all these things and I'm like, but that's my culture, like, <laughs> you know. But that's something we do to enjoy uh, with with our family and being together to celebrate, you know, our merengue, salsa, bachata. What do you mean that's from the devil? Where did you get this from? And so, for me, I would always think like there is no harm. I'm, in fact, I'm burning calories, so I don't know where the harm. Is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's something I was always like a critical thinker within my church, and my mom would be like, no, you know, you can't do that. Can't you, you know, you gotta behave, like you gotta be a good Christian. I'm like, where'd you get this from? Like, and so who told you this? And then studying in history, I'm like, oh, like colonizers. They, they looked at us, saw us different, and we're like, you gotta take out that whole identity, put on this thing. This is what it means to be Christian and live Christian. That was wrong. So for me, taking that back, affirming that, you know, and like taking back what I guess was taken um, or told was wrong. That has been so like probably one of the best journeys in integrating that and writing. I've started to even write in English and Spanish. Um, yeah, and, yeah. So just doing small things like that. I'm like, 
I don't know if this will be accepted in like classes, but you know, as far as she, the ordinary, like I'm going to integrate it. I'm going to integrate different things for it. So, yeah, I mean, man, you just, you said so much good stuff and I, I love like that, that passage in revelations has, or in revelation has really become like one of my, I mean, to me, when we talk about in, in whatever context, um, you know, we talk about justice or, or evangelism or the future of the church or theology or anything like that. To me, like, I'm like, this is what we're aiming at. And I think that for me, it's like so many people, they talk about a lot of these different things, but they don't really have an idea of what they're aiming at. And to me, I don't know. I'm, I'm just infinitely more moved by a, a community of people that can be completely different in every way, like not speak the same language, not look alike, not have different traditions, but are gathered around the unification of Christ um, and, and the beauty of Christ and the diversity of Christ. Um, and I think, I think there's, I mean, there's, there's just so much that you miss out on. And to me, like, even, I think for me, even in terms of like, okay, how do I know that, that God is true and real to me, the wide diversity and, and history of the church is just a much greater apologetic than a church that is just because, you know, you think about it, like so many religions and so many religions other than like kind of the three or four main like Abrahamic religions are centered in a particular culture. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, you don't really have, like, it's unless you have people that have like kind of explored, like it's very rare to find people that are, that are Hindu that weren't in, that weren't in India or Pakistan or, or some of mm -hmm. these other places, or, you know, people that have like, you know, gone on travels and converted. Like a lot of times religions are, are sort of centered in a particular culture, but that's just not the case with Christianity. Like Christianity has spread and adapted mm -hmm. and i think part of the reason why is because like you said that god um god loves all people god designed yes. and and created people to reflect his image in a way yes. that is that is beautiful and particular to their particular cultural mm -hmm. expression while at the same time uniting them with people that are different than them mm -hmm. around the the beauty of of christ's life death and resurrection and so mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to, I mean, like to me, like when, I don't know, to me, like that's why cultural identity, like to hear you say that about cultural identity is just, I was just affirming that because to me, it's just so true. And I think it's so, um, I don't know, to me, it's just, it's infinitely more beautiful than a church that is just very singular yeah. in its identity and its purpose. Um, or I guess in its, yeah, in the way that it expresses its identity and culture. And it makes you wonder, like, of the Lord, God's omnipotence and presence and abundance, like, everywhere. Because what I got from my, one of my friends um, in our Ayat group um, mm. is, um, I heard her share this once in another podcast. Um, and she was sharing, you know, many of times we think that we need to bring God in certain places, not knowing God is already there. Mm. And that working in that midst. 
just to know that he's already there. So how can God use me, you know, to see um, what he's been doing in this person's life or in this community or, you know, in this neighborhood, X, Y, Z. So I think that's, yeah, that's also something to, to think about. Um, and it's just crazy. Like God's so much bigger than we imagine him to be. Um, even thinking in terms of how you're expressing like global church, the church everywhere in different communities, like he's working in there and too, too much. Like we have many times we have the thought of being a missionary to come and save people, <laughs> but I'm like, God is showing himself like, and he's showing up with people and, and we're able to see Christ's image in these people. Um, why, why is that? What has he been up to? So. Yeah. I like that. I like that framing of like, you know, making God or like seeing what God is up to rather than us deciding what God is up to mm. in a place. I think that's a, that's a cool reframing of mission. Um, yeah, man. So, and we, we've already kind of touched on this a little bit, um, but you know, you have this, this like coalescence of identities of, you know, American culture, Latinx Pentecostal culture, um, being a, being a Christian at a private Christian college, um, how, uh, how have those things impacted the way that you live out your faith, I guess, both locally and then like, kind of when you think like big picture? Hmm. Locally, it's affirmed, I think, my desire to serve um you know in i guess our overlooked spaces or in the tough places and so all this um which is what i've been i shared with you earlier like looking into pursuing an mdiv um in the future um the whole reason for that locally is because I want to be better equipped. I want to pour back into my communities um, like, like the one that I grew up in in South Central. Um, it was just, it just developed this deep, deep heart for it, deep to get, get our hands dirty, you know, like to, yeah. to roll up our sleeves, like be with the community, see, see, see the pain or see um, how we can better be present uh, for, for our kids and, and hear their stories and so uh, that's what I was already doing as you know a member of my church like as a youth member doing these like free concerts free you know I don't know VBS food sales all these things and so I think um locally I would want to I would want to see what it looks like to to have a church you know and um in in these areas of people that like are not looked at or just seen like whatever um and then you said locally and you said like kind of kind of big picture for you like where where is that how is like those all those different identities how has that impacted the way that you see your faith working out in like a big picture scale and that could mm -hmm. be like big picture with the country or just big picture for your life if that makes sense yeah big picture for my life all this um 
I guess more sense in the in the bigger picture. I mean, <laughs> I don't. I'm not. I haven't really like planned plan. You know that through. I'm kind of always expectant and seeing like what God is up to, like you know. So I'm like, okay, God, what what are you gonna be up to? Um, but bigger picture, I would love she the ordinary to like maybe expand more <laughs> and like branch off more into maybe developing uh, better resources for for our Latinos and Latinas. Um, I would love to write a book. Like, I don't know what that looks like, you know, but mm-hmm. in depth of these experiences and pastor, I would love to pastor as well. And so um, seeing all that, how that plays out, but like whatever God's going to do in that, you know, I'm letting the spirit like move and lead in that sense. So, and that's my Pentecostal side coming out, but. Yeah, man. I love it. Going back a little bit, you know, you, you recommended, um, Brown Church by Dr. Robert Chow Romero, whose uh, his book has been, look, my Amazon list is so freaking long right now. I'm, I feel so bad. Like so many people I have on this podcast and they have great books. And I'm just like, listen, I've got like, I've got like 30 books to read. Um, but his is, his is definitely one. So, you know, you mentioned that that book as well as some other things that you've been reading um, have really grounded you in, in kind of this, this Latinx theological framework. So, for for people that are listening, what what would you say are some distinctives um, of Latinx theology that um, we can we can kind of learn more about and kind of um, maybe even begin to integrate into our own theological or spiritual practices? Of course. So I yeah, I would definitely recommend Dr. Robert Chaudhary's book is a good introduction to everything, um, and it pointed me to to you know our other. Um, our other, I would say, like forefathers, I guess, of Latinx theology, which was Justo Gonzalez. Um, he has a book called Mañana Tomorrow, uh, Latina Evangelicas, and that talks about Protestant, like Pentecostal woman who wrote this book um, from the context here in the U.S. Um, and uh, what I've been noticing in these books is again this preferential option for the poor, and that's. Um, a thing that's intersecting, like God looking at the marginalized and lifting it up, God looking at women, Latinas, immigrant women that are seen as like nobodies or that, you know, they're maybe they don't have a theological background. Maybe they don't have a, a master's in divinity or went to school or even a pastoral role, you know, in the church. Maybe they're just an hermana, a sister, and yet they're still called to do great things. And yet they still matter and they still have something to contribute, you know, in our communities. And so something that I'm seeing is like, what what can we look to in, in our marginalized um, communities? What can we learn from them? Like, how can not like what how can we lift them up but what do they have to tell us Mm, and mm -hmm. so that's what i've been noticing in in a key a key like in my key learning um of of learning uh from the humble learning like from those places those like least desired you know uh another thing is liberation theology that god this was probably one of my other favorite parts of in my learning um God is God of life, and he is a God um, that wants the flourishing and shalom and peace, you know, 
of our people to thrive. So if there's anything that's hindering that, including like um, not just personal, right? Like sometimes we have personal, our personal journey, there's things that we're dealing with, but there's anything externally, socially, oppression, mm. racism, you know, inequality, like we have something to say. <laughs> and so with that said in my learning too, um, which is just, it's crazy because when I think back in my Pentecostal um, brain here in South Central, justice and being socially active was not very, was not um, common and was actually not preached. But then we think like, why? And so we think of where our parents came from and very, um, very controlled, like politically controlled, like in oppressed countries. So part of our journey is um, like learning from the martyrs or from liberation theology in our parents' home countries that there were priests and preachers and nuns that rose up, you know, against dictators and evil political regimes. And so that was also part of our journey. Uh, in, and um, Brown Church, the book covers uh, all that historical fight against oppression, um, even to this day as we continue. So um, that is something that is not centered in our churches. I think because of fear, because of the positions that our parents and our grandparents have been put in, like, don't look, don't get involved. I don't wanna get hurt. Um, but that's something that is so key in seeing the contributions that our liberation theologians did and even lost their lives to, you know, to preach like that God does not excuse or allow or want abuse and inequality for his people. Man, that's like we can cut the podcast there. That's just that's so good stuff. Um, yeah, just thank you for for expounding on that. And um, I'm gonna have to move that book up on my list because there's just so much to learn and so much good stuff uh, to unpack there. And yeah, one one thing is we're we're kind of nearing um, a little bit of the end of our time here would be. I guess, what would you say to, what would you say to someone that's kind of was maybe in your situation, um, but is kind of taking a different approach to it and just saying like, you know, we just need to just get rid of, you know, I just need to check my Christian faith. Like it's not quote unquote working for me, or it's mm. not really, it's not really speaking to the things and problems that I'm seeing within my mm. community and within mm. my identities what would you say to somebody like that I I'd say I get it <laughs> like you know everything that's been going on this past year makes us realize the realities of our of our faith that that has been I think filtered out or just I don't even there's just so much going on you know that we've been taught or that we've learned um and in that sense, or that we've been told, you know, like what to believe or what, when to stay quiet, when to, how to act and all these things that are, that are, again, are not allowing us to flourish in our lives and are not bringing shalom and peace to us and our communities. And so in that journey um, 
of discovering, of learning, relearning, of building. Um, just, I, I would encourage them to say like, we're learning and grasping back our identity um, and community to rebuild though. And so there's that verse in Isaiah where it's like, you're gonna rebuild, right? We'll, we'll rebuild all, all that was shattered, or re, rebuild, um, you know, yeah, like everything that was broken and the ruins, like there will be a rebuilding. And this time, like, it'll be with like, again, what God had to say about everything, what God has to say and how God can use us with this knowledge and empower us through his power through the Holy Spirit. Um, so, you know, I would love for them like to, to participate in that and to see how best to participate in that. But yeah, I wouldn't blame them for feeling like, you know, hopeless or, or discouraged. Like that happened to me in my journey sometimes. And I, I had to come together with my group or with my community. And so that's another thing, not only to tell them like, join us to rebuild, but also tell them like, you're not alone in that, in that journey. Like we're, we've all been going through this and we have times where we're like, just, I mean, just like the prophets, like in the old Testament, they would be like in ruins, like tear their, you know, clothes and their head down, they're lamenting and lamenting. And so that's a big part of that rebuilding, you know, like that lament that space to hold all that grief, but we're not alone. We have each other and God is with us, meeting us there. Amen and amen. All right, Haiti, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Um, it was such a blessing to hear your perspective and uh, thank you for, for sharing your, your journey with, with all of us who are listening. And one, one thing that I just want to commend you for is that, and really to anybody listening, uh, please go follow She the Ordinary on, on Instagram and follow Haiti's blog. Um, I think more than, you know, like Instagram and, and the internet just have so many different um, faith influencers. And one thing that I love about Haiti's blog is that she always points back to God and to Jesus. Um, it's not really about her, even when she's talking about her cultural identity or the ways that she's growing. It's much more about who God is and what he's doing in her. And I think that's just such an amazing um, quality that not a lot of other bloggers have. So definitely go check her out. And um, I'm not an influencer, okay? <laughs> what? I'm not an influencer. Listen, you you post like a brown, like you post like a brown square with white text in it. You're, you're an influencer, my friend. Oh, I'm God. so sorry. I'm so I'm sorry if no one else told you beforehand that you're an influencer. Okay, well, thank you. No, thank <laughs> you for kind and encouraging words. And I'm going to tell all my theas, my community, like everybody, you know, to come and listen to this and support you as well because I love what you're also doing. I read the blog where ortho orthodoxical came from. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, this is like a yeah, this is we're in the same spirit, Kyle. I just know that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's why I wanted you to come on. So all right. Yeah, all right. Well, thank you so much. And for everyone else listening in, we'll see you next time on the Orthodoxical Podcast. Mm-hmm.